Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech and a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing tech and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech weekly newsletter. It's a weekly email and it covers really important shifts in the marketing technology industry. People who work in the world's largest media, tech and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I'm joined by Vahe Arabian and Grant Shankster. Both of these gentlemen are SEO experts, search engine optimization experts in their own right. Now, Vahe is the founder of the State of Digital Publishing, and it's a membership platform and a consultancy which helps publishers grow digital media properties using the publisher SEO and content strategy. Now, Grant is an SEO and PP expert at the various artists. Uh, he works with a lot of regionally focused brands in Queensland, Australia, but has also worked in, across a number of industries, including tourism. But recently, he's started focusing more closely on local businesses and how they actually use search engine optimization and digital publishing to drive value for their businesses. So today we're talking about the state of the SEO industry, how experts like Vahe and Grant approach the discipline and its changing role in the digital economy. And now I give you Vahe and Grant. Hello. How are you? Well, thanks for joining us on Making Sense of MarTech. Now, I'd love a brief introduction uh, to yourself. How did you actually get into the SEO game? Uh, what interests you about the work? Do you have a story to share around how you actually got into this space? I always find it really interesting to understand how do people actually get into SEO and what, what's really attractive to working in that space? Yeah, sure. Um, so at the moment, I'm working for various artists, as you mentioned, been around for about 15 years. Um, I came on board in about 2014 after working in a tourism, a regional tourism organization up here on the Sunshine Coast. Um, before that, surf travel, and before that, fresh out of uni, wet behind years. So I actually graduated uni with a creative writing major and a business tourism minor. Um, and then I did some postgrad stuff with communications, primarily in journalism and then PR and media. So I sort of left university thinking I was going to be a writer of some description and I got picked up by a surf travel company and they pushed me towards just writing content. So I was quite happy in that bubble, but as we all, I think, are aware now, SEO has become content and content has become SEO. So the two become mired together. They sort of became inseparable. So writing content became about How's it's performing on the website? Is it attracting eyeballs? So forth. So, and then tailoring content moving forward to attract those eyeballs. So SEO journey was for me um, a result of coming through from just having to get content and writing onto on web. And um, just a bit about myself, I guess um, I've been doing SEO for over 13 years now, I guess. Maybe like a lot of other SEOs, how they've said they started, I fell into it. So it was just during my uni days that I worked across a few internships that had an opening for SEO internship. And they're like, did you want to try that? And so I said, yes. And I started reading SEO Dummies Guide and started just um, helping them with, with some of their SEO for small business clients. And also had the opportunity to work for now what's called Finder with one of their websites, savings account, account um, Savings account finder, which was one of the Microsofts back in the day. And um, 
for me, what excited me was the potential of, you know, you being able to reach the audience directly and make an impact with them based on the type of uh, content and the value you provide to users. And from there, I guess, um, worked in multiple agencies, particularly in, in startup phases of those agencies and was able to help contribute to their product offerings. And then it was in my most recent full-time role at OMG that I realized that a lot more publishers and there's a lot more demand in content strategy to be centerfold and tying back to my passion for publishing and realizing that that gap. And also at the time was uh, a, 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 a large discussion around subscriptions and, and developing sustainable business models as social media, like Facebook and all of them started to pull people's um, pull people publishers under the rug in terms of um, seeing a drop in CPMs and everything else. I, I thought that that was an opportunity for me to start branching out and just specializing in, in publishers only. So it's definitely been a journey for me to be able to change my approach on that. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, and I'll be loving to share my insights today about some of those things that I've learned during the process. So let's talk a little bit about the membership platform that you run, Vahe. I mean, it's very focused and geared towards, as you say, uh, publishers and how they actually do content strategy and SEO really well. As you've been building that company and servicing the industry, what are people generally signing up to learn? And what are sort of the common themes working with publishers and people in SEO? What are people having um, trouble with in the SEO space? So a lot of the types of uh, people that sign up are either like in-house specialists for enterprise, bigger brands, publisher brands, or they're either small to medium-sized publishers that they're niche specialists and they're actually in the day-to-day of the business. And I guess what I'm seeing across the board from both of them is essentially they want to understand how to improve their processes around their editorial workflow and basically understand like what's the growth levers that they need in order to be able to take their, what they're doing good at to become great. So what what I mean by that, for example, is like a lot of times uh, publishers might underestimate the amount of content or publishing that they need to do. And I know that's one misconception that, or not misconception, but a lot of uh, non-publisher industry verticals that focus on SEO, they they say like, you need to publish a, a small amount, but quality content. Well, that's true in some aspect, if you're more trying to go slow, slower and incrementally grow. But for a lot of publishers, it's more about publishing velocity. So it's about being able to grow consistently and ramp that up over time and teaching them how to do that effectively through workflow and processes, under, helping them understand more about their taxonomy. Publishers need to want to learn more about like how to best set up their website to be able to then define their topical authority and being able to help um, Google to understand what their expertise is. And essentially, a lot of it's also fundamentally training um, editors and those business owners about how to meet the needs of their audience. So a lot of times they're not matching the intent of their content because of the format of the content and how it, and, and practices around refreshing content as well. A lot of times um, using evergreen and not relying on as much on news is the, is the our approach and creating flywheels to be able to bucket those type of content and to make sure that publishers make more, more mileage out of their existing content rather than trying to publish content again and again and causing cannibalization is, is what we really advocate to them to help them grow sustainably. And that's the outcome that we're trying to do. So sustainable with a good velocity, that's going to help them ramp up over time. 
Mm. I think there's there's so much, even how you're explaining that, but hey, there's so much in the world of SEO that I think a lot of people don't truly get that it's a deeply strategic discipline. You have to understand uh, your customers and your market really well. You need to know what their pain points are so you can obviously create content for that. But then, yeah, it's also gearing your website up so you're getting the most reach of that content through search channels. You know, even the taxonomy, like you just mentioned, is a massive part in that. It's not just producing great content, it's also gearing it towards search engines in a way that would actually drive a lot of value from that one piece of content, say, for an example. But there's also things like, as you say, like evergreen content and managing all of the old articles and all of the old stuff that you perhaps you published years ago and so it's a lot of sort of management around that and how you sort of create evergreen content to continue to um, leverage that piece of um, information i mean often i think with so many brands out there they'll publish social media posts they publish content and articles and it goes out and they get a spike of traffic initially and then it just sits in the ether and it doesn't get used again. But I think there's some fantastic brands out there, companies like HubSpot, companies like Zapier, there's some in the B2B SaaS world that do a really great job with evergreen content and really great job of understanding the queries, the questions that their core customers are really trying to answer and how their software sort of uh, supports that. But also like more generally sort of knowledge sharing as well across other apps and other applications and, and challenges that users have. And so, you know, I think there's so much there to unpack, but if I could pick on one thing, Vahe, I think for our listeners, could you help us understand what a topic authority means or what does that look like? So there's, there's a few aspects, I guess what Google defines it using their jargon is, is called eight. So it's expertise authority, uh, authoritativeness and, and trust. So what we're trying to do in terms of trying to develop your topical authority or your positioning as, as, as a leading expert in that area is um, expertise. So being able to cover that topic comprehensively and have that information um, accessible on your website, authoritativeness, being able to show on, on your website, technically through, whether it's through FEMA, whether it's through having your credentials in terms of your business, any awards you won, the background history of your company, consistently shown on the website that can help allow both users and search engines to pick up on that information and the trustworthiness, whether it's you know through SSL, whether it's through being able to be transparent about how you, what the process is in terms of researching content or whether or not content's sponsored or not so that people can determine whether or not that's content that's for them rather than it's pushed towards them. Uh, some of those examples on a site level and a page level, if you consistently do that over time and, and, and then eventually get also, obviously the fundamental with SEO is also about links and getting that vote from other websites and coming back to you. And, and if we get those combination of things done consistently over time, then Google can recognize your topical expert authority. And we've seen particularly for news publishers where they get a lot more coverage in their top stories because of the fact that they're recognized as an expert or, uh, as a topical authority in a particular subject. Mm. So it's, it's building that up and that's over time through those combination of factors that it becomes easier for you to perform better in those areas. Mm. No, thanks for explaining. And I guess talking about topic authority, there's a fantastic article that Grant has, was working on, which was recently actually featured in a TMW newsletter 
talking about the Australian Bureau of Meteorology. So that's the sort of the government body that looks at weather patterns and forecasting. And uh, Grant did a really interesting analysis of that business and its total disregard for SEO practices. <laughs> but it's also ranked very well in Google still. And it's sort of the main thing that Australian users actually go to, to for weather tracking and weather forecasting. And so, uh, you know, I think there's, it's really interesting that via you mentioning like topic authority and, and really helping publishers gear up. But then you have these sort of counterfactual examples like the Australian Bureau of Meteorology, where they just don't actually, they don't actually adhere to those Google practices and best practices really at all. And so um, uh, over to you, Grant, how, what was your thought process behind this article? What sort of inspired us? And tell us a bit about how does it actually influence how we think about SEO and adhering to best practices? Yeah, so I, I ride a motorbike to work when I can. So I, I have to check the weather before I leave. As you, we know, <clears throat> in Australia, we've had a lot of rain recently. So I hop on my mobile and I, it's just an ugly website to work with on your mobile. It's pinch and, and squeeze and scroll, it's clunky. But I keep coming back to it. Um, again and again and again and again and I think the, that was the inspiration behind the article is why do I keep coming back here why does this rank so well when it, it kind of seems to be ambivalent towards what Google is telling it to do <clears throat> so I by that I mean there's no SSL certificate on it there's multiple analytics tags and just sort of two of them are being used one of them one of them is being used or, or two of them's not it's, it's really slower. It doesn't even register on the, on the mobile speed results. There's just a JavaScript error. It's beautiful. I love it. But I keep coming back to it. I think for, for me, what it came down to was sort of that last paragraph was it's so useful. It answers my queries on some level. And I think that's the fundamental, that was the purpose of the article was to break SEO down to its fundamental component, which is aside from all the SEO acronyms and, and all the, the, the jargon and the tech speak that comes out of Google and the adherence to what we must do, I think fundamentally we're aimed, we're targeted at answering user queries. And that needs to be really simple. It needs to be broken down to its basic component, which is, is the information I'm providing of use? And the bomb site, the Bureau of Meteorology site does that just time and time again. Uh, they are government funded. They do have an app as well. So, you know, they've, they've got, whole bankroll that, that many SMEs and enterprise businesses just don't have access to. But I think at its fundamental core, the take home for any reader of, of the article and any one of our clients that come to the door is be useful first and then worry about all that technical stuff because that technical stuff is something that you can sort of get handled even through an agency or, or through learning. But if, you, if you're useful and you're providing quality content, you're going to win the internet. So yeah, that was that was the the yeah that was the thinking behind the article. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's I, the thing that I think is a mental shift for a lot of people when they look at the SEO industry. That you know, I think a lot of the proponents in the space are highly technical people. They're talking about ranking and algorithms, and it's very sort of technical. But I agree with you, Grant, in that a lot of SEO is actually deeply strategic. It's about giving users, giving customers content they actually want. You know, it's a, a far more creative than I think a lot of people give it uh, SEO credit for. Because 100%. creating content is not just about what is the list of things that or a question or a problem that a user has. So what's 
a great visualization uh, to explain something? What's some deep research I can do to really give a, a customer or a user a really good uh, grounding and knowledge in some kind of subject matter? You know, I just think that there's so much there we're missing when we talk about SEO, where we sort of think about it as a purely technical discipline without the creative the deeply strategic and the research aspect to it as well. And so obviously the Bureau, Bureau of Meteorology, that organization is meeting a need every day for people like you riding their motorbike and millions yeah. of other people in Australia who need to check weather patterns every day. And it's still very authoritative because they focus on the core product, which is the weather tracking, which I think is really good. Going back to basics and giving content that people want. And as you say, Grant, you'll be able to win the internet that way. Great way to put it. So I want to talk about the role of Google in how it can make or break a business. And we've seen around the world with brands like Facebook and Amazon and how much attention they command, but also how much the commerce they command as well. You know, there's been some recent stories over last year about, you know, in Amazon Marketplace, for example, a lot of businesses are starting working for more than a decade in Amazon. And because they're completely reliant on Amazon services in their marketplace, Amazon was, they have shut off a number of retailers and it's their whole business just disappeared overnight. And, you know, obviously there's a platform risk whenever you're sort of building a company or building a brand, you want to be careful about how much reliance you have on a particular channel, whether it be search or through Amazon marketplace or social media as well. And I think about that a lot. And it particularly when it comes to approaching strategy, you know, how do you minimize that, uh, that platform risk of being having all your eggs in one basket? And uh, when you look at Google search, there are now millions of business in the world that rely on having healthy rankings to sustain their business and to drive revenue and growth, and even just to drive attention and awareness of, of their brand. But, you know, despite this, you know, Google rules can sometimes, and some of the commentary I've seen from SEO experts is that sometimes the changes in algorithms and the changes to the SEO, the search platform, can be quite arbitrary. Um, you can wake up tomorrow and there'll be a massive change and then your website's downranked, which means that you'll be driving less audience to your site and, and driving less value. It can downrank you based on keyword selection, based on what kind of backlinks, if the content is seemed, deemed inappropriate in some way. Um, you know, from Google, then of course, that's another way to downrank. But then there are even things like mobile UX, like even my own experience running the MyTech Weekly. In the past, I've received notifications saying, hey, your uh, website's not totally set up for mobile, and that's going to impact your search rankings. And so I often see, you know, the news that comes out of SEO industry is a lot about, well, what's Google changing today? You know, and how does our strategy need to adhere to that? And I would want to know how you feel about Google's control. Working in this industry, working in the space, how do you feel about Google's control over businesses, uh, how they drive value and growth, and and how uh, personally as SEO experts, how you actually run different strategies? You know, what's been your experience responding to Google's changes, and what are the risks and rewards in that? Uh, hey, I might throw it to you. Uh, what are your thoughts? A lot, of, a lot of to unpack in some of the thing comments you said, uh, one. But um, if I can just take a step back, I think we have to first understand the context behind where Google's going and why. So um, I think uh, there are still misconceptions. Again, um, you know, back in the day, Google started just to help answer a question. And that was simply what it was. 
But now, you know, they've realized as well, like I think there was a start saying like there's about 2 million new searches per day and people are searching like long tail. It's becoming increasingly long tail, increasingly specific what people are looking for. And so, you know, that's something that the previous algorithm models couldn't handle. Like if you were just going to help optimize something like as it was, you're missing out on, on so, so much new information to target new audience. So what the past few years the shift in the model and the approach has been for search for google is to make it more of a content discovery platform and so what that means is that, that they've incorporated new models in the algorithm so like there's something called bert there's been recently particularly i want to highlight um mum multimodal models i think something like that it's called they, they they released that last year in may and the whole point of that is that uh, and, and because as well, it, we're not no longer in a text web. We're we're in a multimedia, multi omnichannel, multi touch. Like it's it's not like um, a linear path anymore towards how we consume content and how we're reaching to an action. So that's why Mum was released last year to be able to then group all that into when someone's searching for something, it groups all that and understands that more better. And so what I think. The, the SEOs that I've, you have to look at things holistically and the, the SEOs that are, not to bag any of my colleagues, but I think the common reasons why I see other people complaining that they've seen a drop overnight. Yes, I've experienced that as well for some of the things, but, you know, generally speaking, it's either a technical issue that you haven't resolved well or you haven't sort of matched the user intent and, and what people are looking for. And that's something that has to be really coming from changing the mindset of the clients you're working with or how you're trying to approach things yourself. So overall, in order to be able to keep up with, not keep up with, to understand where the users are going, it's really important to understand where, how search engines are being built and what kind of fundamental changes they're trying to do to serve, to, to, to serve users' needs, to be able to, to do that, not sort of go too much granular in, in a particular aspect, like, for example, page experience or mobile, mobile SEO or something like that, because, you know, for example, like the past three or four years until they changed the mobile index like Google was saying, like focus on mobile SEO, focus on page speed. But, you know, that's more of a, you have to look at that relatively to other things that are important. And really like people talking about that one thing and just focusing on a, a tactical thing is not going to be the the way to, to, to grow your business. So essentially to your point about volatility of relying on Google, I'd say like, it's actually for me, the foundation of how web works and why they continue to build the way things are. Because, for example, if you look at social media and people relying on social media, like a lot of people, uh, people that are heavily focused on social media content, for example, it's very trend or very like one-off basis, and and then um, they would then not see anything coming through search. So having that data to understand how what people are searching for, actually, you can then use that to complement to other channels. And then over time, as your brand becomes bigger and you become more of an enterprise brand, like. A lot of your audience is then then you can just use that to be more tactical and and complement each other and other things so for example like if you're running a, a christmas campaign for example i know that christmas has already passed but let's say a lot of products there's specific products you want to push so you might use um, seo or content to create buyer guides for people to consider some things and then for consideration and then you know use paid for direct acquisition or to be able to use that to co-optimize between organic and paid so that whatever you're not ranking well in, in organic you can then push more into pay to maximize the roi and ROAS on, on on your campaigns for example so 
it's about trying to use that holistically, trying to understand how fundamentally the web works and, and by understanding how the web works, then you can incorporate that into your SEO and content strategy. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing I think you highlight, Vahe, is that Google search as a platform historically has been a forcing function to upheld standards across web design and co content quality because there's an, an adverse um, effect if you don't adhere to those things. And so it's almost as though uh, because of the value proposition of search, the ability to, to create audiences to drive uh, website traffic, Google's value proposition then also becomes a kind of a common good almost for the entire industry, for the entire internet, because it, it enforces uh, websites to actually adhere to standards as things develop, like the rise of mobile computing, the rise of different types of, like you say, you know, multimodal and various types of content and like omni-channel experiences. You know, those things are sort of increasingly becoming more important in the same way that mobile was, in the same way that having a local presence, which we'll touch on a little bit later, having a local presence and being visible on Google Maps, for example, is also something that sort of adheres those standards. And so I, I think it's quite interesting. I mean, in part of this the research for this podcast episode, I actually went back to the founding paper from Sergey Brin and Lawrence Page from 1998, I think it was, when they just, um, I think it was still hosted um, on their university servers at that point. But they talked about the need for a really high quality search engine. Back then there were like a ton of different ones, but they weren't doing very well because the quality of the information from search wasn't very high. And a lot of that was actually driven by advertising and partnerships and sort of mixed incentives for ranking different websites. And there's this great quote, and I'd like to read it from that initial sort of founding document from Google. So they say in the document back in 1998, that currently the predominant business model for commercial search engines is advertising. The goals of advertising business models do not always correspond to providing quality search to users. We expect that advertising funded search engines will be inherently biased towards the advertiser and away from the needs of the consumers. Furthermore, advertising income often provides an incentive to provide poor quality search results. And you can see right back then, there was a problem, which was the mixed incentives for search engine providers by sort of partnering with advertisers and I think that it's really interesting to think about, you know, the role of advertising. I mean, I've seen increasingly, even with Google search that, you know, there's more and more ads in that initial listing when you search for something, you know, it's almost like a full page used to be two or three links. Now it's quite a lot more. There's a whole bunch of different ways in which brands are advertising across Google search as well. It's just the, so much complexity and there's so many options there. But also, you know, Google's been able to maintain a level of quality standards. But, you know, I, I want to unpack that a little bit and we'll talk about that um, uh, in another question a little bit later. But I do think that there's a, um, there's a sort of neutral good that uh, search engines have in the internet, which is upholding standards across the, the entire sort of ecosystem for websites. But Graham, what are your thoughts on, on this topic? I mean, how do you see this in the context of your customers and your clients and what do you think about? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with Vahi. I, I think Google, I think, came out pretty loud and proud at the beginning and said, we exist to put customers in touch with the information that they need. So you'll, So everything else has been sort of built towards that outcome, you know. 
Uh, Vahe mentioned long tail search as well. I think that's, that's sort of where we find ourselves as a smaller regional agency often in, tr- in trying to build long, long-term SEO strategy. We start with long tail because that's where user query has um, potential, especially for emerging and, and younger, younger businesses. So, I mean, to answer your question, does, does Google's monopoly scares the hell out of me? Um, are businesses vulnerable to it? Absolutely. But at the same time, like you say, there's a neutral good to, to Google. So they're, um, you know, they, they are leading the way. And I think they're, in, they're doing what they can to make sure that they still tick that fundamental box of, am I putting users in touch with the information that they're requesting? And is this website the best vehicle to answer that query? Whether that focuses on mobile UX, whether it's on, it's on that mom update or so forth. I wouldn't say that, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of it for me. Mm. So switching gears, I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like running SEO on the ground, day-to-day, in the work, <clears throat> doing that analysis, doing the strategy, looking at the technical side of SEO. And Grant, I mean, you've been doing a lot of work focusing on local and regional uh, businesses, which I do think in the sort of grand scheme of things have a very different set of needs when it comes to search and a different sort of set of strategies. And you've seen, you've worked sort of at a, um, at a sort of most like a national, a much larger level, but then also worked with um, smaller brands as well. And so what, what kinds of things do you think SMEs focus on and what are they doing to get search right for them and their immediate context? I think, Google My Business profile is, is everything for, for smaller businesses, especially on a local regional level. So having that, that local pack listing appear in your, in your top three is, that's for a lot of businesses, that's the goal. You mentioned before that advertising is kind of pushing search further and further down the page. It's not unusual to see on desktop, you know, three adver- advertisements, three pack listings, and then some organic um, SEO results floating up to the top based on that. So our clients sort of generally focus their search on location plus service or service plus location plus offer. Mm-hmm. I actually have a hard time trying to pull my clients away from stepping outside of location. So an example like that might be I'm a bakery, baked goods plus Sunshine Coast as a, as a search term. That's a bit flaky, but let's run with it. What I'm trying to get to my clients to write is, or to build strategy around is just actually what it is that you do. So it's just the bakery part. Forget about the regional proposition because I think Google's smart enough to realize that your pack listing is, is a local or regional listing. Your website has a, this traffic is attracted to it. it. I imagine there's an algorithm in place to, to ascertain where your service offering is on a regional basis. So when you're producing content or whether you're writing for web or whether you're gearing your website for SEO listings, you need to be focusing on your core offering specifically, not so much keyword stuffing with with regional data, which is oftentimes when clients come to the table with us for the first time is where they've been in the past on a previous journey. And you can go through articles or content that's almost geared around service plus suburb which is a bit of a frustration it's a really obvious grab for for localized seo and i I don't feel that's the way but we certainly haven't really seen much success come from that so and the other thing i want to talk about as well in in terms of of regional local seo is is brand and doing the hard yards with your brand 
Um, and that's, I guess, that's part of discovering your why and, and, and so forth and what makes your USP, your unique service proposition different from your competitors and whatnot, but also brand longevity. How long have you been around for? What can you speak to specifically onto that? And having that notoriety established enough that people are willing to discuss your brand themselves as opposed to you having to constantly push that conversation in their face via socials, articles, whatever. And also backing that up with some, some clever PPC components as well. We often use a dynamic strategy. We use a dynamic ad group focused on just article pages or just cornerstone pages. And that works well in, in concert with, with an SEO strategy to kind of get those, those listings bumped back up. We've often had some success with that. I'm not sure, Vahe, if, if, if that's something you guys deal with or, or if you've got any thoughts on that one. Yeah, but definitely like our approach is taking a flywheel approach. So we have category pillar, resource pillars, but yeah, we bucket our content based on informational, promotional, tactical slash conversion focus and work on, on topic clusters, bucketing that content in that way to be able to help our clients grow their traffic and also meet their outcomes, whether it's getting more brand partnerships, advertiser revenue, whatever publishing goals they have. So yeah, it's, it's a lot more... Um, velocity based I don't know if I was, yeah yeah it's a similar project but I'll just take it a, bit, a little bit further the regional aspect seems to be a really important factor for local businesses like yeah. you know keyword plus location and you know I've even used that personally in the past where you know it's like you know car mechanic in Melbourne right you know it's somewhere locally and so mm. you know I think there's there's obviously there's values it's highly pragmatic but I think you're right as well, Grant, to say that it's also about building a brand. You know, brands don't need to be, you know, multinational or national companies building a fantastic brand. You know, I've seen some amazing breweries even and building a fantastic brand and amazing content strategy, but they're really just one sort of uh, pocket of Australia that they really serve their product to, you know. So I think there's a brand strategy component that's there as well and, and advising on that is quite helpful. Um, one interesting story, which, you know, is probably the, uh, an example example of definitely not to do things in SEO is I've worked with this. They were sort of, they, did, they were in the trades and they would work with sort of homeowners to do renovations and things like that. And they actually had a SEO person come in and set up a whole bunch of bots. And what they did was they set up bots and a whole bunch of fake location pages and drive traffic to those location pages, even though they didn't service those locations, like that someone could be called out, but they would pick all of the different locations in the state and then have bots run traffic to that website, to their uh, various parts of their website to inflate their results, right? So whenever somebody says, to your point before, Grant, about, you know, keyword um, home renovations in this location, they'd have a page for it and then it, to Google it would appear like it would have quite a bit of traffic. Um, but the way we found out about it, because uh, they didn't tell us this, was that we were running experiments on their website. So we were doing the other side of the equation, optimizing their website. Um, and this was years ago, back in the wild, wild west. But we were running tests and we started seeing all these weird anomalies in the data when we were running these tests. We we're like, what's going on here? Like, why is there like all of these like same users doing the same, exactly the same thing. You know, they're following exactly the same journey. And I turned around to the manager and I'm like, what's going on here? So we sat down with them and then yeah, they, we found out they 
have all these bots and they're different sort of in their showrooms and things like that. They had all these different sort of servers running and sending traffic. And then we sort of had to end that relationship immediately because we're like, completely unethical you know just not on and it's a great way to completely contaminate your entire website data as set up as well you can't really trust any results from that point onwards or more conversions and all those things so you know we ended up ending that relationship but you know it just kind of highlights the fact that regional search is so important so for, for local businesses so important in fact that even some would go to that extent and spend thousands thousands of dollars just to set up bots so they have a presence in a whole bunch of different um, towns and cities. And so, yeah, I think it's a really good call out, you know, focus on content strategy, focus on the pragmatic as well and try to do the right thing in SEO. You know, we love it when people do that. But coming up to our last question, I mean, I want to talk about some of the alternatives in search and how both you, Vahe and Grant, are looking at alternatives. So there's been alternatives in the market forever. You know, Microsoft, not shortly after when Google really took off, launched Bing, which is the alternative search engine. I don't use it at all, but I know a bunch of people do use it. And a bunch of brands that also find quite a bit of success using Microsoft Bing. But there are other alternatives that are far more privacy focused. So ones like Neva, which is a sort of newly launched SaaS business, but they're a subscription-based search engine. So you actually pay to search, but they keep your data 100% safe and they protect all of your data information from advertisers. Another one is DuckDuckGo, which has historically and quite famously been sort of the very, very privacy-focused search engine. Uh, by the way, they've recently surpassed 100 million queries a day on average. So that's about 2% of US search penetration. So not heaps, but you know, that's quite a substantial amount of queries. And a lot of people are using DuckDuckGo. I think there's uh, some growing appetite for alternatives outside of Google. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the growing distrust of um, not just Google, but also the larger platform uh, social and search businesses that have such a huge wealth of consumer data and then have, of course, have been seen to violate data protection controls and also regulation. And we have, a whole, even in Australia, we have a growing sort of appetite from a government level to regulate how consumer data is processed and managed. So I want to know, how do you think about these alternatives? Are these things that you are investigating, researching, um, thinking about strategies for your customers? You know, I would say with any sort of new platform that comes into market, there's always the sort of uh, first movers that get a lot of great value straight from the beginning. Um, but how are you thinking about this? And what does it sort of mean for your SEO practice? And I might throw it to Vahe. What are your thoughts on this one? So... I, th I think there's two things we have to look at again sort of going back to the why those people are looking at that and with, with a, like like you said there's been the ad, uh, there's been that privacy concerns and um that's how a lot of those niche search engines are positioning themselves better than positioning themselves against google is the fact that the they will be the data's not going to be collected or they'll be incentivized to actually get paid to provide that input and data because essentially that's sort of um, impacting their um, freedom to search but um what ultimately i think we haven't seen in australia that is significantly different elsewhere is the fact that there's you know gdpr and all of these privacy laws that we don't actually see what the impact is on on, on a legislation level that has i think eventually will come here and a lot of the there'll be acceleration towards a lot of maybe all those alternatives 
But at the moment, because we're getting most of our information already from Google and the share hasn't changed as much, what we're doing, the status quo is still going to be the same as it is for the maybe foreseeable next couple of years. But essentially, with whatever practices you're doing SEO for Google anyways, it's going through to the other search engines because they're following the same, almost same model and ranking factors. I think the, the benefit to looking at those specific search engines is more about trying to get more qualified users and, and use it as long to, um, low-hanging fruit. So for, I know for a fact that, you know, being, um, and I think, um, we, yeah, we've done a little bit on DuckDuckGo and Yahoo, like we get, there's a slightly higher click-through rate, less bounce rate, because a lot of that's um, still not as clouded with ads and other stuff, complex stuff that, Google's trying to fix on their platform at the work on their platform at the moment. So for us, the, for, for me, my position is more about leveraging the search, uh, search engines for low hanging fruit and to, to, to continue to diversify traffic for, for search engines. But I think longer term for Australia, we'll see um, those small search engines come up. It's just more about legislation, making that as a factor. Um, and and more consumer, like like you said, as people become aware of how much information users are giving to Google, then they might that might play into a factor of of moving away from Google longer term. And Grant, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are you thinking about in terms of these new platforms? Have you been doing research around some of the new entrants into the market? Uh, not not in. I'm I'm sort of aware of them and i agree with vahi on the two points firstly that there's it's being driven by a need and i think there's some legislation happening the gdpr thing was was certainly interesting and i think that's going to be interesting in the next couple of years when it comes onshore to our neck of the woods because that'll that'll change a lot of strategies around remarketing and retargeting and, and how we sort of sell to to already engaged audiences but then i, I think about things like the ios 14.5 update that um, I'm seeing my customer audiences on Facebook be slaughtered down to, to minuscule sizes compared to what they were on the back of that change. So I think that data privacy and user privacy is, is an emerging trend and people are paying more and more attention to it. And I think Google isn't oblivious to this, so they'll adapt and change because let's face it, they're, they're a market leader and they've got a phenomenal share in, in the search industry. So that's one part of it. And the second part, I think, is just because Google has sort of effectively cleared that path, they've built that road, the other search engines, to a lesser or greater extent, will follow suit. And I think at the fundamental, going back to that simple reason of, am I answering a user query with this information, is going to remain core. So are we writing content or producing content, or are we building websites that answer user queries effectively? If so, yes. I think you're going to tick those boxes regardless um, of whatever platform or search engine your users are preferring. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, there's, I think there's a few different layers to this um, and how search may play out into the future is that consumer privacy is important. And as you say, Grant, it's a growing trend, but it's not, I don't think it's a, it's a, going to be a consideration for the mass of millions and millions of people who use search every day to switch a provider. You know, as much as in the industry, we may say this is important, we should look at it. And there is some growing, even Australian research, particularly in the younger generations that uh, is showing a growing concern about how companies use their data. But I don't think 
you know, for a Google uh, that is such a massive incumbent in search, I don't think that's really enough to really sort of change the guard there in terms of the next big search provider. And sure, there's Neva and there's DuckDuckGo and, and there's other alternatives that are growing, but it's whoever owns the audience will win the day. And Google will be in the number one position, I think, for the next few decades in a consumer's mind for when they need to search something on the internet. It's very hard to see Google being unseated in any sort of meaningful way without significant innovation. I mean, doing another search engine and saying it's private is not necessarily innovation. That's just being more ethical. <laughs> you know, there's no sort of technological change there that's meeting some new need for a consumer or something that we never even see, saw coming. And I'm yet to see any sort of search engine type company really meet a need that we haven't seen coming. A lot of it is about privacy. A lot of it is about protecting data. Um, but, you know, there's always going to be alternatives. And like I mentioned before, like even Google Bing, even though um, a lot of people in the industry don't pay attention to it, I've seen some brands be quite successful with it because of the reason that there's sort of uh, there's a better value there for them, better way to rank because there's less efforts from others. And so, you know, I think obviously going and thinking through, well, platform risk is an issue, spreading out uh, SEO strategy to these other providers and making sure that you're adhering to their guidelines as well seems to be a sound strategy regardless of whether or not Google will be unseated one day. Um, but I think it's very interesting. I mean, you know, Google's an old business now, you know, they've been doing SEO since 1995. So they've been around forever. But yes, I don't see any sort of real risk in terms of them being unseated as the main sort of way users go away and do so. So Grant and Vahe, thank you for lending your thoughts today on the Making Sense of MarTech podcast. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, perhaps Vahe, can you just share where we can find you? Stateofdigitalpublishing.com. Awesome. Uh, that's our website. And then um, as, as a state, state of digital P on Twitter or State of Digital Publishing on Facebook and LinkedIn. Awesome. And Grant, where, where can we find you? Uh, TheVariousArtists.com.au. Um, yeah, uh, we're, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and I don't think we do Twitter. Perhaps we should. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, we'll be regularly interviewing people who are featured every week in the Martech Weekly newsletter. People like Vahe and Grant, who are at the forefront of the industries, thinking and, and going deep into the topics that subscribers care about the most. So, if you'd like to read and subscribe, you can head to the MartechWeekly.com. Thank you for having us. Thank you.